you are in the perfect place at the divine time to be touched by a horse. Here's your hosts, Melissa Pierce and Dane Cheek. Hey, hey, everybody. It's Melissa. And this is Dane. Yay. I'm glad you're back with me doing these. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and I'm, it's, it's good to have you back for a change. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm just completing, actually, yesterday, just completed three long weeks, three different uh, what we call coach camps, three different coach camps that started on a Sunday afternoon and end on a Friday late afternoon. Three weeks in a row, I'm tired, I'm gratified. All three groups did really well, but gosh, yeah, we don't see each other much when I'm doing that. You know, know. at yeah. night, tired and grumpy right. for me. I'm, gr- <laughs> I'm grumpy, not you. So, so you've been working at the Gov a lot. What have you been doing there? Uh, we've been forming a lot of uh, acrylic trying to get a visual on a dam outlet just to see the effects of the water. Because you could see through the see, acrylic? Yeah, see so through they the acrylic, yeah. That's interesting. All right. so, Is there yeah. any water left anywhere for the dams? I mean, all the, everything's drying up. Yeah, there's a little bit, you know. A little we, we, bit. we got like a little spigot in the lab, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it is sad with everything going on in the climate right now and all the big drought seeing the Mississippi dry and then all the stuff you work with as the western side of the United States and seeing lakes that I boated on and skied on and had fun on as a kid, Lake Powell, Lake Mead, all of those just so dangerously dry. It's it's important work you're doing, baby. And then you were telling me the one conversation we had, and I got so freaked out about it, The how, how thick is this piece of acrylic? Like three inches thick? No, no. Two it's, inches it, thick? It's a quarter inch thick. Oh, a quarter. I was picturing this... <laughs> Well, I don't know. I was picturing this like really thick, but you're heating it up. So it's hot, molten plastic. Right. And you get gloves and you said you pull it out of the oven and you like flip it onto this thing to make a form. Yeah, on, onto the... Onto the mold, yeah. Well, it sounds like a potential for nine one one. I don't know. I didn't like you doing it. What if you flipped I, I, it? I had nine one on my phone, <laughs> ready to go. Because <laughs> what if you flipped it onto you? I mean, that would be a terrible. That's not good for anybody. No, so, that's a hospitalization. Yeah. I don't like it. You said you had something you wanted to ask me on the podcast today. Yeah. And so, what was your question? And I, know, I know we talk about, or you talk about Gestalt and. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, how did you come across Gestalt as opposed to, you know, any other modality? Yeah, like what drew me to Gestalt? Yeah. Yeah, personal experience, right? So when you asked me that, we don't do a a transcript for these podcasts. You can probably tell we're pretty scriptless. But he said that before, and I I got my book out that I wrote a couple years ago, What in the Heck is Gestalt? Because I knew that I had written something about that. So if I may, can I read it to you, baby? Sure. Okay, because I'm sure you didn't read my book, but you're not... You're not a book reader. Well, maybe I do maybe this will explain it a little bit better than off the cuff. I think it will because, yeah, I think it will. And I never read anything on the podcast. But if I can just read a couple pages and you may even learn something about me that you don't know because it's all in the book. So I know there's a lot of guys that wish they had the book on their wife, right? So I, I'm going to say this is midway in the explanation of Gestalt for me. But this is what I wrote. I was already a divorced parent when I did my own personal therapy work in my 20s. I knew I was a person who easily attracted partners, but I failed to understand how to make a relationship that would be worth the work in the long haul. My standards were set low in selecting a life mate, but set high in what I was willing to settle for or tolerate in my partner's behavior. 
I had one half of the equation, but I could not find the healthy balance. And why? I had trust in God, loved the Waltons, revered my partner's families, and was a fairly traditional person on most levels. I was well-educated, hardworking, successful. I didn't overspend my money. I was not into illegal drugs or substances, but I had an inherent and huge reaction to the word commitment. It seemed to be a loaded negative state of being, and the payoff was invisible to me at that time. So I continually sought out serious partners and even marriage, but was blind to what commitment really meant. I knew I wanted a family, like the families that my partners often had. But having been raised in a home with true violence, I had no earthly clue how to get there. When I entered therapy, my Gestalt therapist set up a new and novel way for me to experience that commitment. And at that, it was a loaded word for me. The word was filled with my unfinished business, which had been created through my front row seat to my parents' highly dysfunctional, hugely abusive, and dramatic marriage. Like many, I had been replicating my parents' toxic relationship in my own relationships. To that point, I had been unable to create them in a less tragic way than the relationship I had witnessed growing up. Had I selected a more traditional form of therapy, I might have spent years talking about my childhood, gathering a better intellectual understanding from a long, drawn-out practice of weekly discussions. Through telling my story, I would have risked feeding my need for the familiar sense of drama that I understood as a child. In contrast, my Gestalt sessions were a more personal exploration thanks to a series of creatively crafted experiments or what we call pieces of work. Often the sessions seemed to have nothing to do with my inability to maintain relationships in my present life. My Gestalt therapist, Stephen, didn't focus on what I thought we would be working on. And my initial dialogue with the therapist at the beginning of each session seemed almost irrelevant. Instead, the session was comprised of a series of emotional dialogues with the cast members of my family of origin. So it seemed abstract about parts of myself I was only beginning in my early 20s to even recognize. Sometimes it was with parts of others that involved concepts I held. And yet, at other times, it was with people to whom I needed to express my truth in a quest to become heard. I was finally expressing my truth, which would have risked my very life when I was a child. I felt the full glory of my anger. I wept the fullness of my grief. I felt heard as if the sick players of my childhood were finally forced to listen to me. Instead of avoiding the painful memories and pain, I was diving headlong into the pool and learning to swim. To stop avoiding my pain and dive back in, I became a woman who was beginning to truly know herself. I became a woman who developed self-awareness and self-control. I never knew where the session or piece of work in the group was going to end up. I learned to stop pre-thinking about it, but to courageously step up to begin the process with no plan, surrendering to the Gestalt process itself. A completed piece, no matter how scary or difficult when it starts, always led to greater clarity and peace. The elusive P-E-A-C-E piece I had been seeking. I felt complete, finished, and able to have normal responses to the ever-present triggers of my life. So that's, and I go on from there, but that's really, I look at it as if it was truly 
divine intervention that when I realized I think I need to seek therapy, that I happened upon a person give me a referral to a gestaltist. And I was really lucky because I I know for me that I could have become pretty hooked on just talking about my problems all the time to a traditional therapist. And it would have fed that it would have fed that need instead of the need to become responsible for myself and aware of myself. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So it was really a blessing to be able to do that. Well, it, it seems as if it sort of gets to the point and uh, you're, you're not in talk therapy forever. Right. It does get to the point. It's quick. It's efficient. It's actually fun. It doesn't sound fun because you're crying and screaming and jumping up and down, but it's so, um, fun's probably the wrong word. It's, it's so rewarding. I guess that's a better word. It's so rewarding to know myself and to understand, oh, that which I witnessed in my parents, I have an opportunity to not replicate. I have an opportunity to learn what it did to me. And, you know, I see it all the time in my practice where people come from parents who divorced and the parent, as you and I have both divorced people too, is so caught up in their own what's going on, you know, dealing with what's going on in the divorce. And the kids are a more minor player in it, even though the parent will say what they have been taught by the media to say, this isn't about you, it's about us. But there's so many more ripples that are going on in the family when that happens. And gosh, I mean, for me, that word commitment meant trap or, you know, you were trapped in something really ugly and dangerous. So I didn't have it modeled for me, a healthy, happy marriage like you and I have. I didn't have that modeled. So Mm. I now probably helps me appreciate things with you, you know, even more. Well, well, you spoke of the word rewarding. It's probably rewarding for both parties, the client and you know, the practitioner, yeah, yeah, you know, where they're 100%. like going, yeah, and in other words going, yeah. <laughs> Internally we are. Right, right, right. <laughs> Internally, I'm, I am, I celebrate my clients when they make these breakthroughs. Uh, you're exactly right. Inside myself, I just celebrate it. I'm like, yes, there's who you are. There's, you know, for my client, there's who you are. That's what you believe, what you stand for, what you know to be true about you. And I'm always struck by how many people have a fairly confident looking exterior out in the world. Like they're, they're coping, they're making it and they look confident, but right behind that is a lack of confidence a nervousness. You know, if people really knew me, they wouldn't really like me and all this stuff is underneath that confident structure. And what Gestalt does is it helps you identify all the parts of self so you can become authentically strong, authentically confident. You know who you are, you know what you stand for, and you know what your response was to what happened to you last week or when you were a kid or whatever. Right now, as we're recording this, it's it's the week that Elon Musk laid off 3,500 people at Twitter. So all those people got an email that they were laid off their jobs. They not laid off, they were fired. And and they just get this cold email in the morning, don't come to work, you don't work here anymore. So that's 3,500 people in our country today. And he may have had good reasons. I'm not, I'm not saying whether he should or should not have done that and, you know, let the, let the courts figure out whether he did it correctly and all that stuff. I'm saying more, what happens to those 3,500 people when they all of a sudden, boom, in a snap of a finger, they don't have a job. They're heading into the holidays. They don't have that feeling, you know, of security and that can cause unfinished business. They have, they 
are not able to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, why me or or any of that. So unfinished business can be created in a snap of a finger in your current life, or it can be unfinished business from when you were 11 and somebody did or said something to you way back there that broke your heart or relationships that end, you know, all of those things can, can bring that in. Huh. Yeah. Huh. huh. I like your, huh. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't edit that out. I'll tell our editor, don't edit out that, huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's real, right? So how did you put the gestalt and the horses together? Well, I think first my, my personal work in gestalt was so important for me. Like I said, I'm in my twenties and I w- had, I was making good money and I, I was doing all these things successfully, but that journey actually had me pull out of a highly lucrative career and decide to go back to school for another degree and work to become a psychotherapist. So that's part of it. And I'm I'm glad I had that experience because it drove me to my life's work. I, I was had a career where I was doing really well and, and, and successful and had a, you know, a Corvette and a nice house and all this stuff in my twenties. And and I realized how unfulfilled I was. So that was one of the other realizations that I had. So I decided to become a psychotherapist, went back to several years of getting my degrees and doing all the things I needed to do at the university. And simultaneous with that, I continued my own training in Gestalt. And then I became a trainer for an organization called Sages, which I was living in Arizona. It was Southwest Association for Gestalt and Expressive Studies with three phenomenal people, Tom Beal, Darlene Benson, and Roger Strachan. And I was their student in Gestalt and then became faculty for them in Gestalt and taught taught with them for a long time. And then I had the very good fortune at the Phoenix Gestalt Institute to go to a workshop led by one of, in my estimation, one of the best Gestaltists that's ever lived, and that's Joseph Zinker. And so I I was selected by Joseph after I did that couple of workshops with him to be one of 12 students who he and an incredible woman who's no longer on the planet, Sonia Nevis, taught the 12 of us in multiple places. I've told you like Boca Raton and the Cape Cod and, you know, Phoenix and different places that they were traveling to. And we would meet and do this in intense training through Cleveland Gestalt Institute sponsored Joseph and Sonia doing all of that. So I, I went on this quest, you know, to become a psychotherapist, but also to become a Gestaltist. And that's the modality that I wanted to do. So opened my practice in um, Tempe, Arizona, and, and it took off like wildfire because I had done both. I was a therapist, but I was primarily a gestaltist. And people were, I can, I can, oh gosh, it's funny. The memories that come up when we do these podcasts. I can remember a professor of mine saying, well, you have a basic problem with gestalt. And I said, what's that? He said, well, people will come and they only need to do a few sessions, you know? Whereas if you go a more traditional route of therapy, you'll develop a clientele that'll want to see you every week for years. So he saw the more financially secure and productive way was to have somebody that became needed to come talk to you every Wednesday from 10 to 11, right? And to do that. And I said, well, I, I respectfully disagree. I think if I become known as a person that people can see five or six times and they feel terrific and they're out in their life instead of five or six years, 
that they're probably going to tell other people. <laughs> you know, that's right. probably going to network out, right? Well, well that that <laughs> that brings up a crazy point. Uh, when I whenever I was going through my divorce, mm-hmm. I went through about a year's worth of talk therapy, Ugh. and then one day, the therapist says, "Well, I've ran out of things to do," and <laughs> yeah, you know, and there's I, no fixing yeah. this marriage. We're, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh, and that's not a slight at your ex-wife. I love your ex-wife. So, yeah, it's it is it is traditional talk therapy for couples for in my humble opinion and please don't shoot the messenger if you're a talk therapist out there working with couples. Uh my own personal experience with it and you're backing that up yeah. is is people say okay, every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we'll meet with this therapist and get our marriage worked on. The problem with that is on Monday and Tuesday, you know you're going Wednesday night. So you start sort of calculating like, what am I going to say on Wednesday night? Oh, look. And it, people start to focus on what's wrong instead of on what's right or what's not working instead of on the dynamics themselves, right? So you go Wednesday night, you both, you know, talk, 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 and talk, and they talk to you and everybody talks and you get a better kind of intellectual understanding, then you leave it. And how often did you guys leave it and have an argument right after? Pretty frequent. Pretty frequent. That's yeah. normal. So because it triggers all this stuff, it's not being dealt with. And then you have a whole week and you think, oh my God, we're going to be doing this for years. I don't want this. You know? And then we ended up in the same situation we started in. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you didn't come to see me as a client because I probably could have repaired your marriage with Susie and then I wouldn't have you. So selfishly, I'm really glad that it worked out the way it did. Sorry, Suze. I'm I'm glad that happened as well. She's she's a delightful gal. She's very talented. And um yeah, so it, it it really was two like like many marriages, it was two people who weren't communicating well and weren't understanding who they really were in in that life together. So, you know, it doesn't say anything bad about either of you. It just says, Okay, marriage can be whenever I hear people say marriage is a lot of work, I think, no, it shouldn't be a lot of work. It should be a flow, right? It should be you and me against the world, not you and me against each other. So right. that's that's my bias anyway, for sure. Well, I know you spoke early while you were reading out of your book about yeah. commitment. I know yeah. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you too. <laughs> <laughs> we both, when we do this crazy podcast we were sharing with some friends yesterday, we're both speaking into the same microphone. So we often come together and just sort of have this little kiss that they have to edit out. So it's it's been fun. It's yeah. been fun to do And it still is. For sure. Good. Yeah. Yay. Yay. It still is. Touched by a Horse offers three comprehensive programs giving you the ability to have the career you've always dreamed about, working in partnership with the magic of horses. Our equine facilitator program provides you with the skills to build a thriving business hosting group experiences with horses. Our equine gestaltist program prepares you to open your own private gestalt practice in partnership with horses. And our master equine gestaltist program builds your gestalt skills both in and outside the round pen. All of our programs include in-depth live classes, business growth training, and a supportive community of herd members to collaborate with and learn from. Visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com to learn more about which program is right for you and your healing herd. You were talking about the horses, right? Oh, yeah, I got derailed, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. 
So for me, my gestalt career really took off. My husband, my ex, and I had a farm in Flagstaff that we would go to in the summer and spend the summers up there. And I did retreats up there and saw a lot of clients up there. And my horses were my beings of choice. And my clients were drawn to them. They were really drawn to interact with them, to be with them. And I've spoken in an earlier podcast, I saw them coming forward, the horses coming forward, volunteering to go see my clients when they were on a break, you know, and do a lot of energy healing, a lot of transformation of of feelings and made them more accessible for me. So that was nice, right? I noticed that. However, what I began to understand for me was that my horses were actually a very gestalt, naturally gestalt being. So when I say that, what the heck does that mean? Gestalt believes that the beauty of life and the sanity of life is being in the present moment, not worrying about what happened yesterday or anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow, but to really appreciate every moment of our life and, and each day. Now, don't get me wrong. I write visions. I'm, I definitely am a strong businesswoman. So I make plans and all of that, but I live my life as best I can in the moment that I'm in rather than wasting mental energy thinking about yesterday or tomorrow. So horses do that, right? They're not out. Our horses aren't out in a pasture thinking, boy, she had some doozy of clients yesterday. I wonder if we're doing, we're working with clients tomorrow. You know, they're not thinking that. That's that funny cartoon. I've shown it to you before where the horse has a saddle on and it asks the other horse, you know, does this saddle make my butt look big? It's like, that's not where they go. They don't think the way that we do. They think beautifully and deeply, but not the way we do. So having said that, that's one element of gestalt. Another is they release, they let go. And that's gestalt. So much of what comes up inside of us, we feed and we hold on to instead of really letting it go. You see two of our mares having a disagreement about something, you know, out in the pasture, they might kick at each other and scream at each other. And then it's over. They're not five hours later going, oh, you were being to be this morning, you know, and doing all of that. They release, they let go. And there are so many attributes of living as a gestaltist that they do naturally, you know, they breathe the world in and they breathe the world out. They're authentic. They're real. You'll never have a horse that's faking it. <laughs> they don't, they don't even try to do that. They never walk up and go, I know I could win this class in the show ring. I can do it. And inside they're going, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But people do that all the time, right? right? right. I know I can get this job, but inside they're scared to death. I'm not going to be enough for this employer. So, so there's just tons. I could really rattle on about that. There's tons of ways in which the horse more than it really more than any other animal with the possible exception of elephants are living so purely gestalt. So once I had that acknowledgement and realization, they were stepping forward to work with my clients. They are what I do, which is gestalt. That's how they live their life. It seemed kind of like a no brainer to start combining my horses with my therapeutic work and to 
watch what happened. It never occurred to me to create some artificial setting for that, you know, some, some way of saying, well, I'm going to have the horse walk over these poles. And, and if the client can get him to do that, then that'll tell him this about themselves. I, it never dawned on me to do anything artificial when I was doing the gestalt work. It needed to be pure. It needed to be the horse in their authentic being and me in my authentic being helping the client reach their authentic being. So that, that was the, really the start of where I started putting it all together. So then I know being a lifetime horseman, you already knew a lot of their behavior in certain situations. So you just sort of put two and two together Right? Or did, or, did. Did you, or did you have to learn that? I learned. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd been around horses all my life. Right. But what I learned was to really translate a lot of their behaviors that as a horseman, I saw in one way. And as a healer, I began to recognize in a completely different language. And that's, I think, what my... Uh, students who are professional horse people, you know, we have trainers and people that come in. I have other people that, that don't know anything about horses that come in the program. It's not a requirement, but it's really fun when somebody says, yeah, I've had horses all my life. And I start decoding for them and their eyes get big and they start laughing and they start going, oh my gosh, my horse has done that for years. I never knew what he was really doing or yes, I have felt exactly what you're saying in that moment, but I hadn't like made the connected dots, right? To know that that's what that horse was saying or meaning or intending when they bring that forward. So they're, they're amazing and they do have different ways of expressing their healing. Um, and I believe now after 37 years of doing this, that I've decoded really in this vein as healers, who they are, how they're showing up, and how they're showing up. They're showing up today across across the world. They're showing up with their uh, human partners and doing some of these behaviors that are not seen for what they are. You know, in fact, sometimes they get reprimanded for it. So that doesn't, you know, doesn't happen in our world because they're understood. But yeah, it's really interesting. And as I say that, I do want to say it does not mean that my horses who are on free liberty when they're healing people, that when my farrier comes out, they don't have to stand quietly. They do. That when I have a halter on them and I'm loading them in a trailer, I expect them to, you know, receive that hierarchy and have those good manners. They're big athletic animals. And my horses, I think, are some of the most well-behaved in the nation. I mean, they have a connection with me. They understand they're safe with me. And they understand when we're doing the healing work and when we're doing something that requires them to stand quietly for the veteran or stand quietly for the farrier or or whatever. The only thing my gypsy vanners don't stand quietly for is what? Feeding time. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're not ready to knock the barn down. They're very naughty. Yeah. Those gypsy vanners are very naughty at feeding time. And yeah, and I could get after them about it, but I kind of have the same issues, so I can't... <laughs> I can't be too hard on them because, yeah, when it's time to eat, I want to eat. So, so I heard I heard while you were reading that you had to go through pieces of work, right? Yeah, and then so is that I no? I I guess you had to develop pieces of work partnering with the horses as well, right? And I often wonder, you know, the the slang like when we say you're a real piece of work. You know, I always wonder if that came from Gestalt. I kind of think it did, but a, a 
when, when we talk about a piece of work in Gestalt, what we're talking about is the client begins to express something they want to take a look at. Maybe they've been triggered by something at work or they've been triggered by a neighbor, whatever. They just know I had a real big reaction to this and it didn't feel like I was clear on what was really happening. You know, I just, I just blew up. I had a big reaction. I cried, whatever. And they want to look at that. They want to just look at that. Or some clients come in and they know, they'll say, I know that the alcoholism that my father had when I was growing up and the violence in our home really affected me. And I'm a, becoming a parent now and I don't want to go there. So I want to take a look at that and make sure I'm a healthy parent for my own children, whatever it is, whatever they want to look at. So the piece of work comes as the experiential experiment that we set up for the client. So rather than tell me all about your dad and tell me all about your childhood and tell me all about all the bad things that he did, we don't dwell in the past. We bring it up in an experiential way so that that person can say what they need to say, clear what they needed to clear, experience what they needed to experience to find their truth in it, their peace, their clarity, all of it. So it takes usually the sessions with horses are an hour and a half. In my office, they're often an hour and two or three major pieces of work get done, whether it's the grief or truth or clarity, all the different things that are done in there. And each piece of work brings closure to some unfinished part of self. And so people feel the difference right away. Like the the next day or two hours later, they'll be, wow, I've done, you know, three years of therapy and here I come for this session and I feel the difference like immediately and, and actually experience the difference because they're no longer triggered in that same way that they were or in a similar circumstance, they have clarity. I often say it's like um, a lightning bolt. So if a lightning bolt strikes the ground in your life, that's something traumatic that happens to you and the lightning bolt strikes and the ashes are on the ground, it would be pretty natural for you to get upset if there was a lightning storm, right? With a lot of lightning around because you've had it strike your life. So anything even similar to it will cause anxiety and difficulties and all of that. To me, where that lightning bolt struck is unfinished business. And when we finish it, you still have the cognitive awareness that you got struck by lightning, but there's no charge to it. It now has no electricity in it. It has no pain in it. It has no negative hit anymore. It's simply a vision of lightning hitting the ground, which is a metaphor for trauma. So that's the difference. And I I love it. Obviously, I'm passionate about it. So you get me going on this topic and boy, I can yap away. (laughs) I can get going on this one for sure. Well, I'm I'm glad the lightning didn't strike the person. Yes, no. (laughs) I actually knew a guy struck by lightning. And my college roommate, Debbie, her dad in Montana, they had a big ranch in Montana. And I remember her telling me this story. He was riding a horse trying to get home and it was a lightning uh, storm and got struck while he was on the back of a horse. And I learned from that, I was real young, but I learned from that the sweat and the body heat of a horse will attract lightning. So if you're riding and you're trying to race home, don't, don't be on your horse, you know, get off your horse and don't stand under a tree, right? Well, I guess plus you're sticking way up 
Yeah, right exactly. You're not supposed to stand in a doorway either. Did you know that? We get a lot of lightning here. We're in lightning country. So, well, I want to thank Hope Through Horses. I've recently done an interview with Kelly Lamphier, who started Hope Through Four Horses. And I've also done one with Linda Bruce, who's on the board from Hope Through Horses. So, you guys will get to know who we're talking about with Hope Through Horses. Incredible organization. Thank you, Hope Through Horses, for helping us put out this podcast into the world. We had lunch yesterday with two women who were so excited to meet us and talk about our podcast. They were just like, gave us so many um, connections about our marriage, about us, about people really enjoying the podcast. And we certainly hope so. And we appreciate it when you turn your friends onto it and send other people to our podcast. Much appreciated. And if you have ideas for topics or you want us to know anything, you can send an email to me at Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-A, at touchedbyahorse.com. And I will respond uh, if I'm in the middle of training. It might take me a couple of days, but I do return all my emails. So thank you, baby, for doing this one with yeah. me. Appreciate it. It's you. a great one. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it. I love you. you. Love you too. Bye, guys. Bye. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Touched by a Horse podcast. If you'd like more information about anything we've talked about on the show today or our certification program, please visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com. That's touchedbyahorse.com. Or contact our office by phone at 303-440-7125. Also, be sure to keep up with us on social media. We're at Touched by a Horse on both Facebook and Instagram. See you around the barn and on the next episode.